Surrendering to Jesus is yielding to God's invitation to know him in a personal way. God loves us so much and God is so interested in us. He created us, he designed us, he wants to be with us. And when we sin, we separate ourselves out of that initial relationship that God designed and we have to be redesigned, we have to be shaped in a new fashion. And Jesus coming here to earth and Jesus living, teaching, healing, showing examples, Jesus dying on the cross makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be in that relationship with Jesus. Knowing God in a personal way. Becoming, literally as Jesus described it, God's friends. What an amazing afternoon it must have been for the disciples as they gathered around Jesus and as he had been teaching and he had been talking to them about the new life they can have and the eternity they can share. And Jesus looks at them in that conversation and says, no longer do I call you students or slaves or servants. I call you friends. Meeting Jesus in a personal fashion shapes, changes our life. Jesus is a life-transforming relationship. Knowing him changes everything about us. And as we'll see with our young hero king, Josiah, that process is shaped, molded, the new life invigorated and guided by the scriptures, which is why we study them so hard. It's why we, we get together in small groups and study. It's why we come into service and we dedicate a portion of the time to teaching. It's why we challenge one another to read daily at a bare minimum, open your Bible app and look at the verse of the day and understand that verse and grasp that verse and possibly memorize that verse because scripture guides us in those changes. It's not just random. It's not just, just sort of flittering here and there. God is intentional about the way he wants to work in our lives. And we see that in Josiah's case. So we're studying, if you're with us for the first time today, we're looking at a book of the Bible in the Old Testament. So it's going to be towards the front part of your Bible, 2 Kings. We're in chapter 22, so you'll see the numbers on each page, and you'll go to that front section in 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. Each sentence or groups of sentences are divided by numbers to make it real easy to find the location. And we see Josiah as a young man with faith wanting to reestablish, to restore, to make new the temple, their place of worship. And in the process, discovering and finding the scriptures. And then his reaction to that. And we're going to look at six different things about Josiah that scripture shapes us. Scripture helps us become these people. In all six cases, we are not typically naturally this way. These are changes that knowing God makes in our lives. Let's look at the first one. So we'll go to the verse 3 and verse 4. The first area that we see is the generosity of the people. Josiah has set forth the restorations. He's given instructions to the leaders of the temple to take the offerings, to take the gifts, specifically the gifts of silver, and use them for the reconstruction, use them for the remodeling, use them for the restoration. 
And in that instruction in verse 4, he says, Go up to the high priest Hilkiah, so that he may total up the silver brought into the Lord's temple, the silver that the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Just like when you came in this morning and said, we don't have a doorkeeper who asked you for your money, but there's offering boxes in all the lobbies throughout the campus, and people made donations, people gave contributions so that the ministry can take place. Generosity, Josiah's generosity to use this for the purpose of refurbishing and restoring the temple is not a natural inclination. It is a changed heart that creates generosity. Every once in a while, you'll run into somebody who is somewhat naturally generous, typically not so much generous as much as just carefree. They don't pay enough attention to the details of their finances and they come across generous. But when Jesus changes your heart, when you begin to study the scripture and understand the scripture, and you begin to understand that generosity is a value that scripture teaches and a changed life is reflected by generosity, then generosity becomes a priority. As they came to worship, they gave. And that giving was going to give them the opportunity to restore their place of worship. For two generations of kings, we've not had a good king since King Hezekiah, Josiah's great-grandfather, Two kings in between were wicked and evil, had no faith, had no relationship with God, and didn't want the people to have a relationship with God. And so everything's in disrepair. People haven't been accustomed to giving. People haven't been accustomed to coming to worship. And now Josiah's wanting to change all this. At at an age of 26, he's wanting to change all this and reestablish worship and relationship with God as a value. And we see it in the generosity. His willing to allocate the funds, his willing to give his own funds, his willing to lead the people to give their funds. I love the story in the Old Testament about David, essentially the founder of the temple. David had the vision, the dream to build the temple in the first place. God wouldn't allow him because of issues in David's life, so his son Solomon would end up building the temple. But David wanted to make all the preparations and he wanted the people to be behind this great project. And so David establishes an offering and a collection of the people. This may be the only time in history this ever happened in church. But the people were so excited about what God was doing in that generation and what the temple would mean to future generations that when they held the offering, it was so overflowing and so overwhelming that David finally just had to say, stop, stop giving. When was the last time you heard that in church? (laughs) Stop giving. Generosity is a supernatural transformation. I wasn't a generous person. I have friends who possibly considered I was a generous person because I would do things like, well, I, because I actually did pretty well as a, as a, even as a young man, as a student in high school, uh, I would like take all my buddies and we'd go to Pizza Inn to go to the buffet. That's going to date me because most of you have never even seen a Pizza Inn. But, um, you know, and I would just say, hey, let's all buy it. You know, let me, I'll buy it. But I wasn't generous. I was messed up and dysfunctional and sinful. And I somehow managed to think if I bought their meals that they would be friends. I was attempting to purchase affection. That's not generosity. 
That's what sin does to us. It messes our heart up. It messes our thought processes up. And we get things confused. Transformation, knowing Jesus, understanding scripture begins to make us truly generous people. Where we're less concerned about what I need and more concerned about what others need. We'll have to fight this. That's why God has to do this work in our hearts. Because it is our natural tendency to preserve ourselves and to preserve those things that we like and we're comfortable with. But a generous heart, like Josiah's, sees the future and says, look, this is what's going to take place. In the Second Chronicles account of this, it says that those who oversaw the temple were working, doing all this, gathering up this offering. They were working to repair and to restore the temple. Josiah's generosity was going to give people the opportunity to worship. But very close to generosity is how God transforms the responsibilities in our life. In verse five and six, it says, it was given to those who do the work Those who oversee the Lord's temple, they in turn are to give it to the workmen in the Lord's temple to repair the damage. They are to give it to the carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and to go to the quarry and buy stone to repair the temple. That seems like just a simple description of construction. But out of the generosity, the motivation of everything that was happening was because there was a sense of responsibility. Josiah typifies this beautifully. He could have built any number of things. He could have done an addition to the palace. He could have added an entire entire aquifer and heated pools in the palace. He could have spent that money on any number of things like his father did and like his grandfather did. But instead, Josiah understood in his role of leadership that restoration of the temple had to take priority. We are not, by nature, responsible people. Some will argue with that. Some will say, well, of course I am. I'm concerned about all kinds of things. But oftentimes, much like my misunderstanding of generosity, that responsibility is geared more towards what pleases us. I am responsible with my finances so I may be able to purchase what I want. How many times do we see something even churches, and we think to ourselves, it's somebody else's problem. Somebody else, somebody should paint that. Somebody should put flowers in. Somebody should repair. Somebody should do that. But we always are waiting for someone else to do it. One of the things I love about Josiah and one of the things that God did in my own heart, these these six characteristics are changes God made in my heart when I met Jesus and became Jesus' friend was to become responsible, to to make something of life, not for my legacy, but for the glory of God. Like Paul described it to the church at Corinth, who was an irresponsible church. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, however you live, do it for the glory of God. Take responsibility. Don't just always assume somebody else is going to take care of it. Don't assume somebody else is, is going to handle this but learn responsibility. And then, I actually love this verse. This is, this is one of those verses early on when I first became a believer, I, I highlighted it. In verse seven, describing the construction process and the sense of responsibility Josiah has, 
It describes the integrity of Josiah, his leadership, and the people. But no accounting is to be required from them for the silver given to them since they work with integrity. Now, don't get distracted here. I am not advocating a system of generosity and responsibility that has no accountability. That's not what I'm advocating. But I am advocating that God changes our lives so that integrity becomes a premier characteristic and value. Can you imagine a project today in our society, in our culture, where you could say there is no need for accounting, there is no need for representation, there is, there is no need for any sense of accountability to make sure everything's spent correctly and spent in the right places and everything's done on time because the people have so much integrity. Can, can you even grasp that? I can't. We have legislatures in Texas that are spending our tax dollars on vacation in Washington, D.C. instead of working here like we voted for them and are paying them to do. Do you want me to say, you know what? I think the Texas state legislature needs no accountability. Let them spend however they want. (laughs) Not on my watch. Not as long as I'm a voting citizen of this great state. Would you want that here at church? We're not that way here at church. Would you want to say, okay, everybody just does whatever they want to do. You know what? There's no budget next year. Just spend whatever you need to spend because you know what? Your hearts are so pure. (laughs) How about your kids? You want me to tell your children? You guys, don't worry about it. Don't worry about grades. Don't worry about about your finances. Don't worry about your health. You know, we just trust you guys. There's no accountability. I am looking at them, not their parents. This is an amazing verse of scripture that the circumstances were filled with so much integrity that there was no need for accountability. One of the greatest transformations in my life was in this area. After I became a follower of Jesus, I wanted nothing more than to be a person who could be trusted. And not for my image, but for the glory of God. And none of this means we don't make mistakes. And none of this means we don't step off into the bog every once in a while and need to be pulled back out. But our heart changes. We talked about that because Josiah is one who wanted to follow in the ways of his ancestor, David. And we talked about the passion of David's heart. Even in all of his mistakes, David still deeply and passionately loved God. My lack of integrity is a direct reflection on the God who saved me, redeemed me, gave me new life. And so I want my life to be trustworthy. I want my wife to be able to trust me. I want my kids to be able to trust me. I want my neighbors to be able to trust me. I want my friends at church to be able to trust me. Because if I can be trusted, then it's a reflection on my God. And if there's anything I've learned as a believer in Jesus, it is that God can always be trusted. Our integrity makes a difference. How we live our life makes a difference. And scripture shapes these things. At this point, Josiah is operating off the basis of his faith. In the process of the restoration, 
They find the scriptures in verses eight through 11. They are in the process. We don't know exactly, we don't have the details. The high priest Hilkiah comes to the secretary Shaphan and says, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Imagine that. We found the Bible at church. There are some churches that need to find the Bible. So he takes it and he reads it. And he comes to make a report to the king. And he says to the king, your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and they've given it to those doing the work. Everything's proceeding as planned. Everything's been underneath the guidance and everybody's working like they should under the overseers of the temple. Oh, and by the way, the priest Hilkiah has given me a book. And Shaphan, this is the secretary, the clerk, he begins to read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes in verse 11. Now, we need to understand culture a little bit because you probably haven't done that lately. In the Jewish culture, when someone is deeply grieved, when someone wants to express the depth of the sorrow and remorse in their heart, whether it was losing a loved one or whether it was in this case Josiah recognizing that not only had the temple been forsaken and fallen into disrepair, but the book of the law had been lost and underutilized. He ripped his clothes because it made him sorry. It pained him in his heart to recognize that God's word had not been read, that God's word had not been taught, that God's word had not been followed. And this is potentially the most difficult characteristic in Josiah's life in the transformation that happens as a believer in Christ. It is that word that we hate to use, even to the point sometimes I'm not sure we understand it anymore. Repentance. How sorry are we when we find out that something's wrong? More specifically, that we've done something wrong. Now, I'm not talking about guilt. I'm not talking about, about guilt that, that weighs us down and burdens us. As we see in Josiah's life, repentance activates and energizes towards action. Guilt will let you just sit there and waller all day long. It's like the wild hogs up at the ranch. They love to lay in holes of water and mud. And they are content to be there all day long. It doesn't bother them. They don't care how they smell. They don't care what they look like. They don't care what's in the water. Which if you get to one of the places where they've been, you'll see all the bugs and insects and it's reeks of disease. They don't care. There's no concern because there's no integrity. There's no, there's no any sense of responsibility and definitely no generosity. It's all about them. And there's no repentance. This isn't changing your life. Repentance is not, we're not even to the change your life part. This is where we realize things aren't right. And it breaks our heart. I remember about two weeks before I became a believer. It was a Friday night. And it was one of those kind of weird, Christians sometimes will have spiritual experiences that can't necessarily be explained 
Um, and I don't think it had anything to do with my circumstances or, or what I was doing or the, who I was with. And I don't even actually remember what I was doing or who I was with, but I was, I was with some friends and something triggered a thought process in my heart. And it was like, it was like the proverbial, my life flashed before my eyes. I just started seeing things in my head. I know, hang with me, I'm not totally crazy. And I saw these things kind of play out in a cinematic fashion. And at the conclusion, I realized my life had amounted to nothing. I don't say that lightly because I have always been driven. And from the furthest back that I can remember as a child, I wanted to be something and be someone. Now, not all of that was healthy, and I'm just going to grant that right up front. It's a little bit like buying pizza for all the guys every single time. There are some dysfunctional activities that are involved, but God changes those things. I am perfectly content to let Cody buy my meals now. (laughs) Shoot, I'm perfectly content to let anybody buy my meals these days. But in that moment, I realized it's just not working. My life isn't working. And it, and it grieved me. I thought something needs to change. Now, it would be another two to three weeks before I would understand what that something was, but I would live that period of time recognizing things aren't right. And I didn't know how to change. And I didn't even know what to change to. And then on that night, when it was finally explained to me that I could let God take over my life. I I could let God start making the decisions and, and I could let God start setting the course. And I could, as we sang just before the message, I could surrender everything. Let him be in control. I repented. I said, and not just because the little prayer that I was reading told me to say this, but because my heart sensed it needed to be said. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. Some people question that. I mean, I've met a few people in my life that thought they had never sinned which probably in and of itself is a sin. But, uh, you know, I've, I've seen that. But I think most of the people are just like I was and just like I continue to be. And I know this is wrong. David, in his passionate relationship with God, he had managed to move to a place in his life where, where he could sin and not feel remorse for it. And then Nathan, the prophet on duty at that point, comes to, Nathan, to, comes to David and confronts him and says, David, here's this scenario. And as this scenario plays out, What do you think of this scenario? And David says, absolutely wrong. Do something about that person that has perpetrated this crime and this evil. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're the man. It's your crime. It's your perpetration of evil. And David could have got defensive. David could have blown it off and ignored it and said, this is a new day in the court. We're going to clarify every value. Nothing's absolute any longer, and we're going to do whatever we want to do. Nathan, you're dismissed. But instead, David broke down. He wept. He cried. He mourned. He started fasting. He begged God to forgive him because he knew the significance of his sin. He prayed, God, 
I have sinned against these people, yes, but against you, God, you have I sinned. Recognizing that the one who hurts the most when we sin is the one who created us. And when we become a friend of Jesus, we hurt him. We've all been in fractured relationships at some point in time. Are we willing to repent when we realize pain and fracture and wrong has been done? Repentance is not a bad thing. It's the beginning. And then I love how David did this, not just because I'm a teacher, but I think it validates what we want to do. The desire for a sense of comprehension, understanding what's taking place. David here, I mean, Josiah hears the words of the book of the law, which is probably either the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Old Testament, or possibly just the book of Deuteronomy. David, uh, Josiah, keep getting mixed up here, Josiah, every time I say David, y'all say Josiah, keep me online here. He wants to understand. So in verse 13, he says, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, for all of Judah, for the whole nation, about the words in this book that has been found. Help me understand the Bible which is why we're a biblically focused church. It's why we emphasize teaching it because it's not necessarily easy to understand. I remember the second week after I became a believer, I uh, got baptized, made my baptism decision, went off, went home to be with my folks for the summer, came back to school the following year, found the church. It was the church I got baptized in, started going to church, and everybody's talking about going to Bible study, and I'm thinking, I'm trying everything. I've read my Bible through in just a matter of a couple of months, and I'm thinking, I don't understand most of this. Somebody needs to help me. I went to the adult class that I was designated and assigned to go to, and I sat there for one morning. I didn't make it through the whole morning, actually. I sat there for about 15 or 20 minutes, and they talked about apocalyptic literature. They talked about millennials before there were millennials. They talked about stuff like propitiation and predestination. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have no clue what they're talking about. And so I got up. But see, comprehension, when God starts to change our hearts, we want to understand. I didn't get up and leave and say, well, this place isn't meeting my needs. This place isn't doing what I want it to do. I got up and I walked down the hallway to the second grade classroom. And I walked in and there's this little old lady. I thought she was about 100, but she lived, I, I was her friend and, and knew her for about another 20 years. So I don't think she made it to 120. But I walked into that class, there's this one little old lady and she's sitting there with all these second grade kids. I walked into that class and said, I'm a brand new follower of Jesus. I'm a brand new believer. I have no understanding. I have no clue what they're talking about. I think I need to go back to the beginning. And they welcomed me. And for nearly a year, I sat in second grade Sunday school trying to understand the Bible. I know some of you are saying, now his sermons make sense. <laughs> now we understand. We want to comprehend God's word. We're not just reading it for the sake of it. It's not just ritual to us. It wasn't ritual to Josiah. We want to understand because we want our lives changed. And understanding brings the very last one, compliance. Josiah recognized that great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book 
in order to do everything that was written about us. In other words, Josiah says it's time we get things straight. Repentance and comprehension lead us to compliance. Let's not just study the Bible, but let's be shaped by it. And let's do it, do what it tells us to do in any area of our life. And there's a lot of things as you study the Bible, it'll tell you to do that will be uncomfortable at times. But it is always worth it to be obedient. Jesus is still my friend. And Jesus has promised to hold me in his hand to the very end. And so I don't do what the Bible tells me to do because I am afraid of God. I do what the Bible tells me to do because I love him with all my heart. If this is what he wants, this is what we'll do.